Hello, heroes, and welcome to another exciting episode of One Shot. I'm James D'Amato, your host and game master. This week we're presenting Red Flowers on a Black Grave, a dramatic game about the fall of the Paris Commune. Folks, the premise sounds super heavy, but I promise we do a fairly light rendition of this that's really character-driven and fascinating. This design comes to us from Catherine Rahman. It's clearly a work of passion, and her expertise and enthusiasm shows throughout the design. The game itself is fairly simple, providing players with context and prompts along with a relationship map to help get their ideas flowing. If you're an actor looking for a really emotional character study, or you're just trying to connect with history in an immersive way, Red Flowers on a Black Grave is a good game for you. And it's going to be on Kickstarter tomorrow. So if you like what you hear here, be sure to check it out. Heroes, I've got some exciting news. I wrote a second book earlier this year, and it's going to be coming out on October 8th. This book was probably the most challenging project I've ever taken on, because it's a book that folks have been asking me to write for a while. It's an explanation of the way I think about role-playing games and advice on how to play the way I do. I've applied concepts from improv, theater, literature, and film to my artistic process as both a GM and a player. It's divided into two sections. The first breaks down stuff that we already do at the table, helping you take a look at what you do instinctually as a player and think about it as a process that you're hoping to improve. The second half takes that information and helps you use it to improve your playing technique, explaining ways to address things like pacing, imagery, and theme in your play. Overall, it's a pretty thorough explanation of how I approach games. I think there are a lot of folks in the audience who have been looking for something like that. And even if you already have an established playstyle that you're happy with, hopefully my perspectives will help you sharpen your own approach to games. It's a system agnostic breakdown of role-playing narratology that includes techniques that I believe can help you develop any role-playing style. It's called the Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide, and you can pre-order it on Amazon right now. And despite the name, I assure you, I don't think my way of doing things is the only way to do things. But if you're interested in the way I run games, then I definitely recommend picking it up. You can pre-order it now by heading to bit.ly slash ultimate gameplay and clicking pre-order. You can also pre-order from a brick and mortar store. And remember, those pre-orders are extremely helpful because they let the brick and mortars know how many copies they can expect to sell, which will have a huge impact down the road. Now, with all of that out of the way, I'll see you in the mid-roll, heroes. All right, heroes, let's meet our party for this week. First up, we've got the sweet, sonorous tones of love of my life, Stephen Kropa. Oh, hello. Yeah, yeah, keep hitting me with that. Yes. Stephen, I'm so excited to be playing this with you. Yes, I'm very excited as well. Uh, so, Stephen... You are my friend who who cares about films and cinema, I think, uh-huh. more than pretty much anybody else that That's I know. That's true. I don't care about any people. I only care about films and cinema. I mean, films and cinema only occasionally disappoint you. Yes, uh, that's true. People constantly do. <laughs> uh, Stephen, mm-hmm. I, I, this is kind of a like historically based, like tragic thing. Is is there a movie that's like your go to kind of period tragedy that you like? Go to period tragedy. I love atonement mm. the film atonement i think it's got a killer soundtrack uh very young shirsha ronan uh is fantastic in it i the professor x himself james mcavoy and <laughs> kira knightley uh it's very very good i really like i like uh sweeping romance uh Ooh. films like that sense and sensibility 
Uh, I wish there was like a wide Sargasso Sea film adaptation that would be really cool to see. Beyond that, you know, like the general uh, Saving Private Ryan and... Uh, you know, I, I feel like that's back. that's a good collection of I influences like, to be drawing on. I for Pisces Boy and I like romance. So <laughs> if it's war and romance, like War Horse, it was great. <laughs> well, I, I definitely think we're going to get some of that today. Yes. Joining us for her second episode of One Shot, I believe, that's Adira Slattery. Hello. Adira, I'm, I'm so happy to be playing with you again after Omen with hollow eyes has has yeah. drawn to a close in its mm-hmm. second season something tells me that this game is probably going to have less over the top magical surrealist nonsense yeah probably a similar amount of stabbing though but yeah well adira uh, speaking of stabbing you are an accomplished larper you've done a lot of of larps uh, are, are you like a tragedy uh larper do you like yes. those games is is there a wreck that you want to throw out to our audience uh who will hear this and be like "Ooh, i want to get even more of this dramatic tragic stuff going there's a great game written by dave simpkins who is an academic studying larps mm-hmm. uh, who also has a book you can buy on amazon if you want called Adrift that generally runs at Gen Con. Um, and part of the beginning of the game is looking in people's eyes and talking about your relationship to death. Oof. Um, and I affectionately refer to it as the crying in space lamp. Very cool. Well, we're being joined by a couple remote guests this time as well. Uh, Steven, Adira, and I are in the one-shot studio, but all the way, well, not all the way across the world, actually relatively close to us when you think of it in a cosmic scheme, we got Agatha Chang. Agatha, welcome back. Yo, thank you. I'm pretty sure this is pretty close on the heels of our One Child's Heart game uh, going up. So you're just kind of dominating the one shot network right now. I guess that's right. It's it's an Asian takeover. Watch out, guys. (laughs) Treated well. I've been in that situation before. (laughs) (laughs) Agatha, uh, you, of course, are coming to us not just as an accomplished role player, game designer, but you're also a podcaster. Please hit us with a a plug for Asians Represent. Oh, snap. Well, Asians Represent is a part of the One Shot Network. Great network, honestly. Um, And it's where we celebrate, well, it's my co-host and I, Daniel, I shouldn't forget him, Daniel Kwan. Uh, We celebrate diversity from an Asian perspective. Yes, I am Asian. Yes, Daniel is also Asian. And we interview guests who are creatives within the analog gaming community. And we also have an actual play that's going on right now. It's a masks, new Shambhala. So we created this pan-Asian city and we've been playing around in it. It's gone really dramatic. If you're interested in high drama in masks, teenage superheroes, you should check it out. Yeah, uh, th- those are up in the secret archive right now that you can listen to uh, the start of that series. It's started out pretty well. I can't wait to hear more of it. Yeah, um, no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, with that, I am going to turn this over to, I-, I guess, not a game master because this is kind of a GMless system, but the designer of Red Carnations on a Black Grave, and that is Catherine Raman. Catherine, welcome to One Shot. Well, thank you very much, James. Um, uh, It's an enormous pleasure and honor to be here. I am very excited. I have heard nothing but uh, great things about this game from people that I love and respect very much. Um, So, Catherine, as this is your game, I'm going to turn the keys over to you, and we're ready to play. Absolutely no pressure. I'm good. It's all good. That that sinking feeling is is excitement. We Um, can cut the sinking feeling in post, so it's fine. (laughs) I'm a great fan of doing 
changes in post. But hey, uh, welcome to Red Carnations on a Black Grave. Uh, what is it about? So in the year 1871 in Paris, there was a short, uh, very socialist and radical revolution that took over the city for a while. And uh, they were super egalitarian and super Republican and super socialist. And they had liked a lot of great things uh, that a lot of people today would probably not have any problems with, unfortunately for them. Uh, the government had fled to the city of Versailles, which is about 20 kilometers west of Paris. It is the place where the uh, uh, the ancient kings of France had say, well, not ancient, but you know, the last 500 years. So they uh, gathered an army, and in the last week of May 1871, they stormed the city of Paris, and a lot of people died. We don't know how many for sure, but uh, it was probably on the order of 30,000. Uh, they, yeah, they arrested about 40,000 people, and those were court-martialed and given various prison sentences over the next couple of years. How long did this raid last? The Paris Commune lasted about 70 days. Uh, the Bloody Week, as it's called, lasted just about a week. Holy cow. Yeah. Now, the fun thing is we get to play characters in the middle of all this. <laughs> well, I'm sure everything will go all right for them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, everything is fine. Don't so worry. So what's my armor class? Yeah, not going to help. <laughs> uh, you would need a plot armor class, and uh, we don't have that. So uh, all of us are going to be playing two characters, and um, central to the game's conceit is that in the last act of the game, the Bloody Week, you uh, will have to have one of those characters die. We will get into the mechanics of, of how that plays out. But uh, for the most part, the game is pretty simple uh, in its structure. Uh, we take turns setting scenes during each of the three acts of the game. Uh, there's a couple little extra bits where we do some montages, which are just little uh, glimpses of our characters. And uh, there are some cards that I can see, at least. And <laughs> they are little scene setting ideas for the most part. So we've chosen all our characters. Uh, we're going to ask some questions because while there is uh, some relationships that are built into the game, uh, there are others that we will ask some questions to try and fill that map out a little bit. And uh, I think I should mention at this point, uh, different characters may belong to different organizations. Um, those are not super important during the most of the gameplay, except as a way for you to come up with ideas for why characters would care about each other, or maybe they, you need an idea for what people would be doing. And the organizations are the National Guard, uh, which was a citizen's militia. At one time, it had been kind of a bourgeois, you know, middle-class group, but in this period of time, it had become taken over by the working class and actually had been kind of a big jobs program for a while, but they were uh, loyal to the commune and they were its military forces. Uh, the, there are the Communist International. For those of you playing at home with your Communist International scorecards, this is the first international, the one that was still being run by Karl Marx in London. Uh, we have the Freemasons. Yes. Uh, <laughs> The Freemasons of Paris, the only thing I need to mention about them is they never require belief in a supreme being, and also that they supported all the revolutions, or at least the first, this one and the great one of 1789. And then finally, there's Communard, um, which is the character I've been playing, Louise Michel. Uh, Communard does simply mean, it simply means in this context that you're an important figure in the running of the commune, uh, or at least locally. Technically, everybody is a communard if you're fighting on the side of the commune, but let's not 
get caught up in details like that. So yeah, we should do the safety talk, lines and veils and X card. Uh, I like to use the X card uh, since we're playing this game remotely. Uh, probably the easiest thing to do is just say X card if you have a problem. Uh, we do have a chat window, so if you can reach the chat window, you can also type it in there. Uh, Adira and Steven are cut off from that. So, And also yeah. the listeners won't be able to hear if there's an X card thrown. So just mm -hmm. say X, I think, if uh, yeah. something comes up for those that don't know in our audience who haven't heard previous episodes or uh, maybe Stephen Kropa, who has not played an X card game oh, with us. have not heard any previous episodes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, if you haven't been on it, why would you listen to it? Uh, so the X card is if there's content in the game that you don't want to be dealing with, whether that is something that's, you know, important to you or, or maybe threatening to you or making you feel uncomfortable, uh, or it's just content that like, you know what, I don't feel like this today. I was just brought to tears over end game and uh, I need to back off from that. Uh, you can say X and we'll stop what's happening. You can tell us what the problem is and we will remove that content and then move forward with the game. But you're also, I think, doing a premiere, uh, Catherine, for Lines and Veils. What a grand responsibility. Uh, so Lines and Veils are a similar kind of concept, but it's sort of a preemptive thing that we do at the start of the game. Uh, a line is a content that we simply don't want to put into the game at all. That means we're just, we're just not going to include those kinds of themes or those situations. And a veil is something that we don't mind having in the game, but we do not want to have happen on screen. So like a common veil for me is sex because the internet exists. We get enough of that at home. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's also, I'm going to throw a veil down on, on violence uh, against, like I think explicitly graphic violence. I don't want to be over the top you know if, if you wouldn't see it on network television i don't think we should probably be describing it in front of our audience i'm gonna throw a veil down on transphobia and like violence against trans people yeah i think that's that's a good call would you want to make that a line instead so not just a veil where it can exist but it's off screen but line as in like it's just not in this game no it's fine it's things that exist in the world. Okay. Well, I have something for a line, which is uh, racism, as in racist re remarks and actions that could, any kind of negative action or words that could be based on race. That's a yeah. line. That That is, I think, a thing that everybody is going to yes. warmly receive. Mm -hmm. uh, besides, all, all the negative stuff is coming up because we're communists. So who has time to sort out other things? Well, now that, that's an interesting point. Maybe you're not communists. I mean, you can totally be opposed to the commune. That could be a thing that... Oh. oh. Yeah. Oh, I didn't I mean, realize I could I could turn heel here. Um, <laughs> yeah, or you could just be a regular person kind of caught up in the middle of this, you know, as a lot of people were. Now, some people are activists in this game, and it's pretty clear. But even then, maybe you're a jaded activist. So we have we have room. This game has contains multitudes excellent oh I'm, I'm very excited before we move on are there any other lines and veils that need to be established okay then i guess we should maybe move into the naming our characters phase sounds good yeah right. now i thought we were provided character names you are so now is the time to introduce your characters ah. name is in state out loud Okay. Yes. So uh, that's the best way to go. I guess we should maybe do the people in the studio first and then. Sure thing. Uh, why don't you get us started, Adira? 
Sure. So uh, I am playing two characters like everybody else. Um, and be sure to save this into the mic. We've yes, got a I'm little bit less freedom. Looking uh, at somebody. Yes. Uh, I am playing two characters like everybody else. Uh, my first character is Marie, who is a young widow. Um, she is a widow of a man named Albert Christoph. Uh, she works in her father's wine shop and at the women's union. Her father is a Freemason, and Marie has some secrets about her dead husband, which will be determined. Amanda is the other character I am playing. Amanda is a prostitute, a uh, sex worker. Amanda arrived in Paris while still a young girl. Uh, she worked as a model for artists uh, until uh, she became pregnant with her child, Camille. Yeah. And she's also in love with uh, Little Iska, who's another character. Since we've mentioned it, I am going to be playing Little Iska. Little Iska is described as a Polish Amazon, which, you know, that is a character that I will love to play. She's also a revolutionary socialist, originally from Poland. Uh, she's a soldier in the National Guard, and she's usually carrying a weapon. And I will also be playing Dominique. Uh, Dominique is a midwife and physician. Uh, she's from an old and wealthy free family of color in Martinique. She graduated from medical school in the United States and is now a midwife and physician for the neighborhood women. Okay. And finally, in the studio. <laughs> I'm playing two characters, as was previously announced, that we all are doing. Uh, <laughs> if we can keep reiterating that, that'll do I need, I need everyone to understand. We're all playing two characters. <laughs> the first character I'm playing, I'm going to go backwards alphabetically, uh, Felix Vincent. He is a 28-year-old man, a poet, aren't we all? A radical proletarian poet. I'm sorry, I, I hate to take that away. A occasional journalist and former student of Louise. And then the other character I'm playing is, I was told it was not Jean Guy, it's Jean Guy. Yeah. Uh, yes, but Jean Guy to his friends. Uh, he's a 33-year-old <laughs> man who is a butcher's assistant and a corporal in the National Guard. He is married to Josephine. And, and those are my two oh. characters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I'm playing uh, Josephine Marché, uh, who is the wife of the aforementioned Jean-Guy. Uh, she's 32, and she's a washerwoman who helps the National Guard units by fetching water and also helps uh, Dominique care for the wounded. And the other character that I'm playing is Tariq, Tanuji. Don't know if that's how you say that name. Tariq is a Spahi, which is a member of a light cavalry unit brought from Algeria by the French army to fight against the Prussians. I'm 29, by the way. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so I'm playing uh, two characters, as we all are. <laughs> nice. Except when I say it, I can say, by design. Ooh. The first is Camille or Camille Mercier. Uh, who is Amanda's child, and I will, since I'm here, I will give my normal spiel about the name Camille in French. It's not gendered, and in fact, in this period, was maybe more common as a boy's name. So cool. I don't know what gendered Camille is yet. We'll figure that out. And uh, the other character is Louise Michel, uh, who is sometimes called the Red Virgin of Montmartre. Probably not contemporaneously with this game, but she is called that much later on. She's a 40-year-old school teacher and radical AF. Sweet. All right. Nice. 
Okay, dokie. So uh, we have some That's questions. Right, nations, everybody. Wait, there's more. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, there's, there's <laughs> more. There's more. You you get to, you get to do more than just picture okay, these stories right. in your, well. in, your uh, in mind's eye. Wow. Um, I thought we had just all survived. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a bummer to find out yeah. that we're still gonna die. It's nice to get to like play games. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. You're not. It's not going to be that easy, James. It's not going to be that easy. Cool. So uh, we have some questions. And uh, what I usually like to do for this is to do this in two rounds, because that way uh, we can each take a turn asking one question. And then we can use anything that we come up with from that to build on maybe for other people. A couple notes about how these questions are worded. If the question says you, you should answer it for one of your characters. If the question asks you to name a char another character or if it specifically names a different character, um, you can answer for that player's character. Uh, you may also, you can also ask that player to uh, respond how they want. Uh, either is good, though obviously play, play nicely with your comrades and uh, make sure that you have buy-in if you answer the question for them. So uh, with that said, uh, Adira, you keep going first, so why don't I ask you to ask one of your questions? All right. Um, let's do, what did you do that landed you in prison? Who did you meet there? So I'm going to say that Marie was in prison. Mm -hmm. And what would she have done that landed her in prison? 1800s France sort of jailed people for a lot of stuff. Were you in debt? Yeah, I <laughs> like debtor's debt. prison. I like debtor's prison, yeah. So Marie met somebody else in debtor's prison. Anybody want to be in debt? I mean, aren't we all? <laughs> uh, yeah, I could be in debt, Tariq. Nice, yeah. So Marie and Tariq met each other in the debtor's house. Awesome. Wait, does that make sense if I was just brought over to fight the Prussians? Does the timeline work out, Kat? Maybe, or maybe... If uh... not, I could just go with Josephine or something. I mean, it's also possible, you know, I've always taken the position that you can interpret in prison very liberally. So perhaps Tariq was detailed as a prison guard at some point. Ooh, Ooh I like that. I like, I like oh. Tariq as a guard. Yes. Oh, all right. Yeah. Tariq and Marie met each other uh, because Tariq was a guard while Marie was in prison. That's awkward. Yeah. I like it. It's a meet miserable. I don't know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a meet cute. We know it. <laughs> Cool. Uh, I guess, Steven, you want to take another one? So these are the questions not next to the characters. These are the other questions? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, everybody has a personal question. I don't traditionally ask people to read those gotcha. out loud. They're sort of just there for you to think about. Okay, I will read. Who was a confidential police informant for the Imperial Police before the Commune? And then name a character who knows the secret and ask their player why they haven't said anything about it. I think it would be pretty cool if the police informant was Emil, the child. Whoa. Whoa. That's right. Wow. These mics are on stands. Can't drop it. <laughs> totally down with that. Why? I'm, I'm writing underneath the child rat. <laughs> why? Oh, and then I name a character who knows the secret. So that's a different character. Correct? Yes. Okay. I will say... Marie knows the secret. Ooh. Why haven't you said anything? Okay, so Amanda doesn't know. Ooh. No, Amanda does not know, but Marie does. Ooh. Yes. All right. I was like, who's Amanda? Oh, okay. <laughs> Amanda's the kid's, the kid's <laughs> mom. Yes, now I see that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hmm. 
why did Marie not say anything? Why did Marie not say anything? Yeah. So I think uh, Marie didn't say anything because Marie didn't want to like get landed in prison again. Like, oh, she's already had to deal with that uh, once already and doesn't want to keep having to deal with that because it sucks. That's putting it mildly. (laughs) Well, James, why don't you ask one of your questions? All right. So the first question that I've been assigned is, who did Felix write a poem about? What do they think of the poem? And why did he choose this character as the subject? I feel like Marie's already got a lot of stuff going on. Should I be not picking one of my characters for this or picking one of my characters? Is there a best uh, practices there? No, I think if you just want to fill in the map somehow, you that's fine. You just want me to direct your character a poem. I do. <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be Dominique. And I actually think it's Dominique because Dominique helped Camille be brought into the world. And I think Felix was, was probably just very inspired around that time and was writing poems about the child coming, was writing poems about the mother, was just writing poems. So I, I sort of got uh, caught up in that uh, blast radius of poetry. And why was she chosen as a subject, I think, more specifically than just a lot of poems were being written? I think there was a command that Dominique had of the room uh, at that time that I think made a, a great impression on Felix. And how did you feel about the poem? That's in there, too. Uh, you know, I think Dominique doesn't, uh, you know, trouble herself with such things. <gasps> if a poem gets written, if a poem doesn't get written, it and doesn't nothing matter. Nothing gets you more poems written about you than lack of interest about poems written about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you both are in the international, so maybe maybe it's just not dialectical enough. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like prose, Okay. <laughs> Awesome. Hey, Agatha, you want to ask a question? What gender are you now? And what was your gender as a child? What do others see you as? Let's go with Josephine. Um, what gender am I now? That's interesting. So I, I basically get to just say whatever about this character then? You get to say whatever. It can also be the obvious answer is obvious. I don't know what that means. I mean, it, it, it could be that you're, you know, you identify as a woman and you were raised as a woman, but maybe something happened in the middle. Yeah, I'm open to suggestions. I'm a I little know. lost on this question. Be trans. <laughs> I should remind yeah. you that during this period, the writer George Sand, who was not named George when she was born, would go around wearing tuxedos and smoking cigars and also had a passionate affair with Frederick Chopin. Mm. Whoa. So, oh, yeah. Chopin. How real thing. So for a long time. You can also choose a different question if this one is really bollocksing you up. Okay, let me let me state uh, what I my my thought process. So and then we can see if we we y'all can help me through this. Okay, so mm-hmm. I'm thinking it'd be interesting if Josephine thinks that her gender is uh, she is a man, and then her gender as a child was was a was a girl let's say and then and then what do others see you as then it kind of is i'm like oh, like where do i because if i'm saying that others see her as a woman then this will become like basically the the trans identity will become like one of the focal points for josephine which is fine but uh you, you so so 
Do you all know what I mean now? I'm kind of like, yeah. I don't know if I want that to be at the forefront or um, or if y'all... Like, you're okay with being trans, but like being closeted, do you feel is going to be too much pressure on it? Yeah, I'm kind of just like, I'm not sure about this aspect. And mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to uh, bring that question to the table. Well, then maybe we can pass the question that question on to someone else if that's just too much to juggle. Okay, I, I mean, sure. Because I ditch that one when I draw it a lot, too. <laughs> what about question one, Agatha? What story do you tell people about your father? Why are you ashamed of the truth? Name another character who knows the truth about him. And I will go with Josephine. I think what I tell people about uh, the identity of my father is that uh, he oh, that he was he was a farmer. Real uh, man of the land kind of deal. And just very hardworking, died when, when I was fairly young and kind of left our family destitute. And the truth is that uh, I am actually, I suppose, maybe a little similar to the red version of Montmartre. Uh, I am actually the illegitimate daughter of someone that mm -hmm. I can't name. And they are definitely, they, they would definitely refuse to either recognize me or give me any kind of financial aid. And they treat me as a stain upon their family. And someone knows about this. I'm not sure who. Let's see. Um, are, are, do you have any connection to this person still? Like, are they paying hush money to keep you out of the limelight? Or are you... No. It's a fact that you know, but you're essentially ignored. Yes. Yeah. I think they're powerful enough that they don't need to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I think anyone could know about this. Well, you work with Dominique, and she's a communist. I do. So <laughs> you're married. Yeah, it's, that's also true. And other mm. things that are on this map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to find a person that hasn't been pulled into anything yet. Uh, uh, yeah, the other obvious answer would be Louise. Okay, let's say it's Louise. Louise Michelle. Hey comrades, welcome to the mid-roll. I hope you're enjoying the robust character creation in this game. We had a lot of fun figuring out who we are and what was going on. Heroes, the campaign podcast has a live show coming up. We're teaming up with our friends from the Cryptid Keeper podcast to do a show here in Chicago at Stage 773. And I believe there are still a few tickets left. So if you want to go, I'd recommend booking them extremely soon. Once again, the show is going to be July 6th at the Cabaret Theater at Stage 773. And you can get your tickets by following the link in our show notes or by heading to bit.ly slash cryptcamlive. That's C-R-Y-P-T-C-A-M live. Speaking of live appearances, Gen Con is coming up and it's right around the corner. The One Shot Network has a wonderful selection of different shows that are going to be at Gen Con this year, and you can find them by heading to the Gen Con website and searching One Shot Podcast in the events section. We've got games, panels, and live podcasts. There's still a few tickets left for System Mastery Live, Neo Scum Live, and Campaign Skyjacks Live. Folks, we're really up in our game for the shows this year. I am so excited to show off what we have planned for you. If you're going to Gen Con and you like our shows, you're definitely not going to want to miss the live episodes. Speaking of campaign, I want to remind everybody that this week is a campaign week. 
In fact, every week will be a campaign week, as long as we can end the month above $8,500 on Patreon. Speaking of Patreon, I'd like to take a quick moment and thank some of the backers who help us afford things like paying Casey to edit campaign every week, or keeping me in a home. Spuzz, thank you so much. Tiny T-Rex arms, thank you. Twin Hits, thank you very much. Thomas, thank you. Jon Snow, thank you. Eli Crow, thank you very much. Jackson Probst, thank you. PNW, thank you very much. Jeffrey Hayes, thank you. Will Dane, thank you so much. Justin Warner, thank you very much, Justin. Allison Engel, thank you so much. Dan Bort? Dan Bort? Dan, your name is Bort! Thank you! Sanguinated, thank you very much. Brian Moore, thank you so much. Clement, thank you very much, Clement. Spencer Amos, thank you so much, Spencer. David Borth, Borth and Bort in the same thank you section. Uh, thank you very much, David. Coin Labonte Bon, thank you very much. And I want to do a correction for a name that I read on Skyjacks. Amanda and Nick Parparian, thank you so much. Thanks again to all of our loyal Patreon supporters. We couldn't do what we're doing without you. With all of that out of the way, let's get back to the show. Okay, cool. I'm going to answer this in one of my favorite ways. Uh, who has started a newspaper and how did they get the money? Uh, Louise has started a brand new newspaper now that, now that the people are free. And she got the money by stealing it. <laughs> nice. She appropriated it in the name of the people. Cool. Uh, Dira, I believe you have a second question. Yeah. Um, my second question is, choose a character that one of your characters is trying to convert to their beliefs. Ask their player if they uh, are interested or if they resist. So I think none of my characters are directly a member of any of the overarching arching organizations um marie has familial ties to the freemasons amanda has loving ties towards the national guard um, so i'm trying to think about what belief i'm one of my characters is trying to convert someone else to also be holding um beliefs don't have to be positive beliefs yeah things like oh my god we we should not get caught up in politics yeah, I think I know I did my first question about Marie, but I think I might want to do this one about her as well. Because Amanda actually already has a lot of stuff just straight up on paper. So I'm going to say that Marie wants to run away from Paris and she is trying to convince Felix that that is also a good idea. I mean, probably a good move, good motivation. What does Felix think about that? I'm trying to convince Felix to... Run away from Paris. Run away from Paris? But that's where all my inspiration comes from. <laughs> For my poems and such. Poets, man. You can't take... You take the poet out of Paris. It also can't. takes the Paris out of <laughs> yes. the poet, which is exactly. the problem. Right. You can lead a poet to Paris. You can lead a poet to Paris. You can't make it right. Poetry. Yeah, I got nothing. So we'll give him us a cookie situation. Let's keep on. <laughs> you give this. a poet a Paris. <laughs> give a poet a Paris. Cool, Stephen. Why don't you uh, yeah. ask another question? My second question 
fun thing for listeners if you'd caught on. We all have two questions as well as two characters. Uh, <laughs> by, design. Character. <laughs> by design. I'm not allowed to say that, though. That comes later. Uh, one character is Camille's father. Does Camille know that this character is their father? Okay. Now, do I assign who that character's father is? Mm-hmm. Just yes, you can. Character, we assumed one character is Camille's father, but now I get to. I get to play Maury on this thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, who hasn't gotten anything yet? Uh, I mean, there's no there separate gene. Oh, yeah. Jean John, Guy, John Key. <gasps> that was an audible gasp right there. Yeah. From Josephine. Yeah. Jean's wife. But you don't tell me about your father, so uh, I think this is fair. Uh, <laughs> oh, is that how that works? Ah, revenge. <laughs> <laughs> who knows? Uh, I will say, yeah, Jean is uh, Camille's father. And does Jean Guy know? I don't think he does. He don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know. So As in, as in like, so does Jean have a suspicion? No, none at all. What? Just complete either willful ignorance or, which will be the case, ignorant ignorance. Cool. Question answered. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna follow you around, Papa. I have so many questions. <laughs> uh. So. Uh. Well. Uh. But first, James has one more question. I do have one more question, and I'm probably gonna hop to. Yeah, we do have two characters and also two questions by design, and. Uh, one this question is about pregnancy but i there hasn't been a lot of business for lodoiska yet so and i don't know that i want to give this character that um so i'm gonna i'm gonna pop over to gender uh right right here gender and let's uh, let's uh, revisit that question from earlier what gender are you now what was your gender as a child and what do others see you as? Let's take a moment and let's see if we can create a fun gender bomb for this character. I want to start is what was your gender as a child? I think Lodo Iska was raised as a boy in their childhood, even if they would have been assigned like a girl at birth, because it was easier for the family to travel at that time. And they lived as a boy for like most of their life, especially like getting into the work uh, that they were doing right before they came here, being in Poland. But I think now here for the first time in their life, like they've got, they're like, well, I could be a woman if I wanted to be a woman, but I've, I've lived as a man so long. I don't know if I'm more comfortable with one or the other. So I think Lodo Iska is, is not comfortable like really anywhere right now. Um, like they've had to hide something for so long. They've lived as another thing for so long. There are no right answers to that question for them. But the gender that other people see them as, I think mostly people still think they are a man. What pronouns would you like us to use for Lodoiska? I think other people will probably use he, him for Lodoiska, uh, but perhaps Amanda would use she, her. All right. Wow, this is way better than my attempt. <laughs> Some well, of those questions, they're just so good. Agatha, you've got a question left. Yes, we I have do. all two. <laughs> my, other, 
Yes, by design. My other question is, whose life did Tariq save? And why did he decide to risk himself? And I'm going to say that uh, Tariq risked his life to save Camille. Mm. And the reason why he decided to do that is because he thinks that he is Camille's father. Nice. Whoa. Whoa. Tangled web. Yes. Cool. Awesome. So I got one last question. Name the character one of your characters is in love with and ask their player if they return the affections. And uh, since this seems like a fun thing to just throw into this little minefield that you've created, James, I think Louise is uh, falling for Lodoiska. What? Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I don't know if you return those affections because you are in a relationship, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think Lodoiska returns those feelings or really even notices them. Yeah, I'll just put it down as carrying a torch for Lodo. Yeah. This tangled web and Felix is just writing poems that are not well received. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I don't think Dominique is the right audience for poetry. (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, So cool. We've got all the questions and we've got all the characters done. Um, before we go, red carnations on a black. Gold. We all Wait, made there's, it. There's more. Ooh, we Wait, there's one. Oh, oh, there's so much. There's so much more. Money. Oh boy. All right. Yeah. So we're gonna play the uh, game now, and uh, the way the game generally works is uh, we have to do a little homework, which is our historical readings. They are short. I worked very hard to keep them very clipped and short, but they should theoretically give us enough information to play our characters honestly because I'm going to assume most people have no idea what happened in this time in France. The short answer is a lot, but you don't need to know all of it. I do, but that's okay. I am crazy and wrote this game. Um, The second thing, uh, so the way scenes work is we'll take turns setting them. When it's your turn, uh, you have narrative authority over the scene, which generally just means if there's any question as to what's going on, like if somebody doesn't, if there's some doubt as to what will happen next, you have the you have the authority over what happens next. You can also, you know, do whatever directorial tricks you want to pull out of your bag. If you want to do a time cut or you want to do a fast forward, you can do all those things. But the main point that you'll have to do is you'll have to uh, indicate one of your characters to be in the scene. I have to tell people this now because I am a huge ham, but other people apparently aren't. And sometimes they're trying not put one of their characters in the scene. Please put one of your characters in the scene. Uh, also, just say where it is and who else in the scene there's another kind of scene that we'll do at the very beginning and then right before the end uh, that i call the montage which is just a quick one or two sentence glimpse of our different characters uh, that we'll do in two rounds again so that we can build on results if people come up with ideas the main thing i want to say about the scenes is this this is a very political game Um, it is suffused with politics the politics has never not happened Uh, Therefore, I have generally found it's a far more successful strategy for people to not start from a political place, but just to pick up whatever their characters are thinking and feeling and doing, and then let things develop from there. The politics are going to happen. It's never not happened. So with that said, now that we've got our characters, we've answered our questions, 
we can actually start the readings. Um, James, I believe I gave you the first reading of the game. You uh, did indeed. This game is about the Paris Commune, a working class revolution in 1871. We'll be playing characters that live in Montmartre, uh, one of the most radical districts of Paris. For 72 days, the commune was one of the most progressive governments in history. During its brief lifetime, it tried to create a state with workers' rights, free education, and the liberation of women as its foundations. The conservative government headquartered in Versailles invaded Paris at the end of May and crushed the commune. Paris was the most important city in continental Europe. Under Emperor Napoleon III, nephew of the more famous Napoleon, the center of the city had been rebuilt with broad boulevards and chic restaurants and boutiques, the capital of humanity, if you will. But in the poor neighborhoods on the outskirts, like Montmartre, unemployment was high and people lived in cramped, crowded conditions without running water or indoor plumbing. Conditions were ripe for another of the once-a-generation Parisian revolutions. In 1870, the emperor was lured into a war against Prussia and its German allies. The war was a disaster. The emperor and most of the army were captured in September. A republic was proclaimed and tried to continue the war. The Prussians besieged Paris. The winter was cold and food ran out. The rich ate animals from the zoo, the poor dogs, cats, and rats. The only way to get mail out of the city was by balloon. Finally, the Republic surrendered to the Germans. Parisians felt betrayed. Despite the large number of troops of the National Guard, a militia that was often the only paying work during the siege, the government never supported them for an attack against the Prussians. When the national elections returned to Parliament with a monarchist majority, Paris felt sure that the Republic would fall, and any hope they had for a more equal society would be destroyed. Several insurrections broke out. The battle for the soul of the French Republic was about to begin. The government, now led by Adolphe Thiers, agreed to pay 5 billion francs in reparations. The Germans remained dug in east of Paris. The National Guard cannons in Montmartre have been bought by its inhabitants. Not the government, but, their, uh, but Thiers ordered their seizure to prevent insurrection. Before dawn on March 18, 1871, soldiers of the French army came to take the guns but were confronted by a crowd of Montmartre's women. The commander ordered his soldiers to shoot the women, but they, ar they arrested and executed him instead. The National Guard took over Paris and ordered elections for a new government for Paris and France, the Commune. Okay, fantastic. And uh, well done with the French names. It's, I know, it's hard. I tried to make sure there was as little as possible, but sometimes it snuck back in. So uh, what we're going to do now is a brief prologue scene. Uh, this is going to be a montage, and you're going to each take turns uh, narrating a brief scene about your characters' lives during the days of March 18th, 1871. We're going to do this in two rounds around the table so that we can build off each other's ideas. The uh, scene you should set is just going to be a couple of sentences, no dialogue. Just give us a brief glimpse, just a few sentences about where your character is. And this can take place before, after, or during the attempt of the army to seize the cannons in Montmartre. Your narration should help give us a sense of who your character is and what they do. The characters in this game are all in the working classes of Paris, people whose daily lives have often been erased in history. Show us what they do, who they love, how they react to the news of this sudden revolution. Do they accept the execution of the general? Did anyone speak in his defense? Do any of the characters oppose the creation of the commune? Uh, I must emphasize this point. Characters cannot die yet. There's a funny story about that. 
And once we're all introduced, we'll move on and unfortunately have to do some more homework at the start of Act One, but then we'll have, you know, actual scenes. Uh, so why don't we read this in the order we did it? So I guess, James, do you want to set us, do a quick montage for one of your characters? For sure. We see a, especially for this working class district, I think well-furnished kind of apartment. There are pictures on the walls. There is like a relatively new, I guess wallpapering is a popular, like it's it's well-painted. There are gas lamps in the interior. It sort of moves over this apartment uh, to a boiling pot of clean water where we see uh, a woman in her late 20s, early 30s, uh, throw a bunch of metal instruments into this pot of boiling water. You can tell that she looks like she has lost sleep. Um, She is standing over the pot trying to slow her breathing as outside you can hear excited shouts and perhaps in the distance, uh, cannon fire. That's Dominique. Agatha, you want to take the next one? Yes. I think it's before you see anything, you first hear uh, the cheers of the crowds. Uh, there's a lot of people just going, yeah, ah, and that that's kind of all in the background. And then you see, um, uh, very slowly, like a slow motion of uh, Josephine. Uh, it's a very close-up shot of her face. And she's turning around and looking all around her. And there's just all these people looking bedraggled um, and uh, ra- worse for wear, kind of dirty. Um, but everyone is just throwing their, their fists in the air and shouting. And she is aglow. She is also very dirty, and in one of her hands is holding a bucket uh, of water, but her eyes are aflame with the light of the revolution. (laughs) Uh, I think looking out at Josephine, I used to zoom a little back to a uh, wine shop um, that appears to just be sort of opening up into the new light um, as Marie... uh, steps out of the uh, shop. She is a woman in her young 20s um, and just sort of leans against the entrance to the shop, looks out at the crowd and sighs a long sigh. I think uh, we see uh, some of the cannons are being pulled back down through the streets in celebration by a jubilant crowd and Sitting astride one of them is a 12-year-old boy. He's got like the, you know, newsboy cap on and he's waving this big red flag. It's like the size of him and people are just screaming around him and he's got this huge grin on his face. And that would be Camille. Uh, And as uh, folks join the fray in the celebrations, uh, a table uh, outside of a tavern gets bumped and... Uh, a wine glass goes over and cursing out is Felix. And he kind of waves his hand in a, oh, do whatever you want to do manner. <laughs> and he goes back to a notebook in front of him and he has uh, kind of a large piece of uh, rubber that he's kind of scratching off uh, the markings of a failed poem. And he continues to write. Are we doing all the characters in this? We are doing all the characters. That's why they're very back to one. Okay, I, I think in the crowd, uh, we see a tall person who's 
bruised. Uh, they look like they've been through hell, but they are singing and shouting excitedly with everyone around them. Uh, and that is Loroiska. They are, they don't have a flag themselves, but they are, are near other people who do. Everyone is kind of shouting incoherently. And I think there's probably, you know, uh, a, an air of drunkenness around them, whether it is, you know, actual alcohol or just the thrill of, of seizing uh, the city. And um, along their, their border centuries, right? That, that's the thing that exists in warfare. Okay. I think in one of those posted centuries, uh, it sits a man, he's polishing his rifle and he hears the the din of of the crowd from somewhere in the distance and he looks up briefly and wipes at his brows uh with the cloth that he was uh polishing with smearing some of that grease across his forehead and he grins a little to himself and goes back to polishing this is Tariq. uh i think zooming back in uh, towards the crowd hanging onto Lodo Iska and celebrating uh, with them is a uh, woman who looks uh, fairly similar to that young boy riding along the cannon, uh, Amanda. She is just caught up in the moment and whooping. I think uh, this would be later at night. And um, there's a there's a woman in her 40s. She has a kind of stern look on her face, and she's writing things down on scraps of paper and then handing them to women and, and young teenagers who are, doing, who are just running around the city uh, carrying her messages. And uh, she's standing outside the wine shop and just sort of like leans against the wall, exhausted for a moment. But then she looks up and sees bruised and battered Lodoiska in, well, his uniform <laughs> and uh she just sort of smiles for a second lifts up a glass of wine and like toast toast them uh from across the room and then goes back to work and this is towards the end of the celebration and you see a man tall in stature uh, he is adorned with the signets of uh, rank of corporal and he is walking down now the nearly empty streets with kind of just an exhausted look upon his face. And he's walking, and, and the hope is that he's getting to walk home after uh, a battle well won. Uh, but he walks past uh, his home after a wistful glance up, and he walks to a butcher's shop where he takes off his uh, blue uniform top, puts on a bloody apron, and gets to work setting the day's, the next day's orders. Wow, that was very cool. All right. The mic's on a stand. Can't drop it. But yes, very cool. (laughs) (laughs) So now let's do, uh, let's do act one. Carnival of the Oppressed, which runs from March 18th to April 2nd, 1871, in which the commune establishes itself and begins the social revolution. The mood is optimistic, joyful, and unbridled. And uh, we have a little bit of more reading to do before this. Okay. By evening of the 18th, the army and government had fled Paris in a disorganized retreat to the former royal palace in Versailles, 20 kilometers west of Paris. Other communes sprang up. Lyon, Marseille, Toulouse. Most were quickly crushed by the Versailles government. In Algeria, a revolt began against the French colonists. 
elections were quickly held in Paris. A council of delegates decentralized and using direct democracy took over the government. Some people wanted to march right away for Versailles and attack the government before they could regroup. While we debated, the Versailles forces were already moving toward Paris. Overdue rents were forgiven. Goods pawned at government pawn shops, the payday lenders of their time, were reclaimed. Complete separation of church and state, a working class dream, was decreed. Everywhere there were lectures and free classes and committees for women, defense, welfare, and building barricades. Very well. Thank you very much, my comrades. Uh, so now we each get to set a scene uh, that takes place during this period. You can remember the mood of being optimistic and joyful and unbridled, if that helps you set your scene. I also get to introduce some friends of mine. Um, this is a deck of cards that I can see, and maybe Agatha can see, uh, and maybe James can see if the computer's in front of him. But um, these are uh, based on the posters that liberally plastered the Paris Commune during this period. Uh, they're little scene ideas if you want to use them. You're never required to use a card. If you do use one and we decide that we've gotten all the juice we're going to get out of that particular card, we'll discard it and set up a new one. Uh, when we move on to Act 2, we'll just reset all the cards. And when we get to Act 3, uh, there's a slightly different deck of cards we'll draw from because um, it's much worse. But the three that we have up right now are The Republic is in Danger, Tout ce qui n'est pas avec nous et contre nous, Those who are not with us are against us. The commune orders all workers to be prepared to stop work immediately in the event of an attack. Violators of this order will be charged with treason and court-martialed. The call for franc tireur we count upon the devotion of the enemies of the assassins of Versailles, is the quote. The commune asks for volunteers to serve as snipers operating behind enemy lines. And then finally, uh, build the barricades. The commune desperately calls for workers to help build defensive barricades in the city. This task was made intentionally difficult by the remodeling of Paris to have broad boulevards, which are harder to block. With all that said, uh, why don't we start with Agatha and rotate around from there. So... Uh, so I okay. will uh, go third. I'm very curious about the relationship between Josephine and Jean, because I feel like we haven't really established that so far. So I would like a scene for us to, we could do at the butcher shop, and I, I assume that's where you're working already? Yes. Okay. Working at so, Hacking at some sort of pig. <laughs> Great. Uh, yes. I, Josephine, um, I burst through the doors. Jean, Jean. Yeah, yeah, take a number. Jean is me. Oh, oh, I'm so, I'm sorry. Um, let me let me uh wash let me wash up real quick. Um, oh, let me help you, and I'll go grab oh. you some water. Oh, um, from a ladle and pass it to you. Oh, okay. Uh, I I take it and 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 wring it in my hands and then bring it up to my face. Uh, it's just kind of moved the blood around, but it's not as dense as it was. Yeah, I take it from you and I continue to help you wipe your face. Okay. Oh, it's like clean face. Have you seen? Have you seen? What? That was, this is the first victory. Yes, my, my love, I was, I, I was there. I am. Um, you were there? And I, I point to the, hanging on the rack, the, the blue uniform jacket. 
Oh, I didn't see you. Perhaps that's a skill of a good soldier. I don't, I don't like to, I like to speak fondly of myself, you know. But um, yes, I had to, I had to come here right after the the, the day's work doesn't stop just for celebration. Um, but yes, I'm oh, so, I'm, I'm very happy for we. This is something we've wanted for so, such a long time. Jean, what are you doing? Why are you? Why are you pushing yourself like this? This is a time for celebration. You don't have to work yourself to the bone. I'm, we should be out. We should be drinking at Marie's Tavern. I am. Um, that's very tempting. <laughs> I, I, I just, any giant uh, gestures over even uh, right past the jacket. And there's kind of, there's like five hogs that are waiting to be, they're, they're already dead, but they're waiting to be kind of processed. I have I have links to make and I have I have there's going to be celebrating tonight and people are going to want to eat something and 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 we're we're going to be in demand and and I have to Jean those can wait. <laughs> what? Please don't be angry. I'm so I I I I'm just I'm not angry. I just wanted to celebrate together and I okay. No, I'm sorry. No, I do I... not What's on your mind? Why don't you rest? It really can wait, and you know that. I just people have preserves; they don't need fresh pork. I just think a day like today deserves fresh pork, you know. And um, I mean, I saved, and he he, uh, he hurriedly goes underneath the counter and, and pulls up this like intricately wrapped uh, slabs of of meat, and he goes, I, "I saved us the best, the best." Um, and, and this this was going to be my surprise. Tonight, um, but oh, Jean. surprise! <laughs> and I put I put my hand on yours, mm-hmm. <laughs> covering the special slabs of meat, <laughs> and uh, and I pull you into a hug. Oh, uh, he's very tense, but at your embrace, he slacks a little bit. Well, I'm glad you're safe. I am so happy to see you and he comes out of the hug and he has his hands on your shoulders and once i get through and he looks back over so many pigs <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of pigs it's a lot of it's a lot of pigs but it's a lot of celebration it's a lot of joy that i get to share all right i'm going to go and we will celebrate and i'm going to pick up the biggest bottle of wine at at marie's i'm going to spare no expense i can trade uh, finest hawks for that, and, and you and I will dance tonight. I think I'll forgive you for that then. <laughs> you know my dancing too well. <laughs> well, heroes, that's it for One Shot this week, but don't worry. We'll be back next week with more red flowers on a black grave. In the meantime, if you're looking for other great gaming content, why not check out one of the other wonderful shows on the One Shot Network? Like the newly returned from hiatus, Warda. Warda is an original fantasy actual play podcast created by Ali Grauer and Drew Merzieski. It's one part Game of Thrones, two parts Downton Abbey, served on the rocks with a twist of Agatha Christie. Discover magic, mystery, and more than a little sociopolitical commentary along the way. The city holds thousands of stories. What will yours be? As always, we end one shot with a call to action, and this week, folks, you gotta call about the border. The way this administration treats immigrants is sickening. Detention facilities are overcrowded with inhumane conditions. And so many of the folks crossing the border are there seeking asylum. 
looking to the United States because they literally have nowhere else to go. The treatment of these human beings is one of the tragedies that we will look back on in history and be ashamed of. But you can be part of a resolution. And a step towards that is calling your representatives and letting them know that you will not stand for this. When I call my representatives, I use a site called fivecalls.org. That's the number five, calls.org. There, you can look up issues affecting the country, find contact information for your representatives, and a script to read while you're on the phone so you can get your point across easily. Calling is a small step, but when we face a crisis so large, the worst thing you can do is nothing. I'm counting on you, heroes.